Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thanks for listening into this, I think, uh, penultimate episode of 2023. Uh, I think I've got a couple more coming out this year. Um, and it feels like, I don't know, what a year. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to get to do a year-end wrap-up. Maybe we'll do it in February or something, but... Um, it's weird out there. That's the thing I keep hearing. It's weird out there. Um, everybody's having a very different post-strike experience. Um, it is sort of feast or famine. Uh, folks who were in rooms or especially if you were starting production are sort of back at it, although there are plenty of exceptions to that. Um, and then a lot of projects were abandoned. Um, my partner and I were really lucky that, you know, we we pitched something the day the strike was called, uh, three hours before the deadline. And luckily, um, the, the buyer went for it six months later after the strike. So we've been busy. We hit the ground running uh, between that and a couple of other projects, in addition to the many other things I have to do to make a living in this industry. Um, but, you know, we're lucky to be working right now. And I know a lot of folks are not. Um, that also may mean we don't get a holiday break where a lot of folks do, but, uh, that's all right. Again, we're, we're excited for the work and we're excited for the projects, uh, that we, that we are working on. Um, I hope you are too, you know, uh, it's going to be so weird for a while until this industry really writes itself and who knows when, or even if that will happen, you know, is there going to be a new normal? All you can do is write the stuff you want to see, you know, whether, whether it's TV or film or books or comics, whatever it is, write the stuff that you want to see, write, write that project that is so weird that you think no one will make it. Um, because maybe they will, it just needs to get into the right hands at the right time, you know? Um, so keep writing, keep it up, um, and listen to today's podcast by way of inspiration. Cause it certainly was for me. Uh, I'm such a big fan of the Untitled Female Driven Podcast, uh, which is hosted by Jess Chow, Hannah Rosner, and Erica Schreiber. They've been around for a couple of years now, um, and they're very geared to the new writer. Um, but there's so much to take from their conversations for a writer at any level with any you know number of years of experience. I always find something so cool and inspirational and helpful in their conversations. They really drill down on specific, usually craft-focused subjects, but often about the business too. Um, and that's what we do today. You know, I was thrilled to do this crossover episode with them. The first part of the crossover you can find on their podcast, which is on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts. Look up the Untitled Female Driven Podcast. The most recent episode, uh, they turn the tables on me and we have a conversation <laughs> in which I hopefully offer some helpful advice. Um, and then for the second half, Hannah Rosner and Erica Schreiber join me on this podcast where we talk about some early mistakes they made in their careers, both um, on the business side and on the craft side. It's a really interesting and fun conversation that I highly recommend. Um, so I hope you enjoy that today. This weekend, if you are around, this coming Sunday, December 17th at 11 a.m., we're doing our last live Zoom Q&A of the year um, tied to both this podcast and 
my Substack, benblacker.substack.com. Um, it's with the great Mark Guggenheim, who was one of the architects of the Arrowverse, you know, for all those shows that ran for so many years on the CW. He's a great writer, a really good guy. Um, he has a lot of terrific insights about the business and about, you know, writing in general. I hope you'll join us uh, on Sunday the 17th at 11 a.m. Pacific uh, via Zoom to ask your questions of Mark Guggenheim. Um, details can be found over on benblacker.substack.com. These live Zoom Q&As are open to any paid subscriber. Uh, and you can also, if you are a paid subscriber, you can listen to the recording of the Q&A later, as well as the past 12, 13 recordings that we've done over the last year, um, which are so great. I, I highly recommend so many of them, you know, with folks like Akela Cooper and Jane Espenson, um, Ben Edlund, we had a couple months ago. Um, all those recordings are really helpful and inspiring and, and you know, it's a lovely community that we have here of folks who are really eager to share their knowledge and expertise. So go to benblacker.substack.com, become a paid subscriber, join us for Sunday's Q&A with Mark Guggenheim, and future Q&As, uh, which we do every month, uh, no matter where you are. You can join the Zoom, ask your questions of these pro writers who are so kind enough to give their time and, and expertise. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast and to my rambling. Um, please enjoy this conversation with Hannah Rosner and Erica Schreiber. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Hannah, Hannah and Erica, thanks so much for chatting with me today in the second half of our crossover extravaganza. Um, what I'm going to do just to start folks off so they know what your voices sound like is to have you introduce yourselves on the microphone. Um, tell us some of the writing you have done, whether they have heard about it or not. Uh, tell us, you know, what your your writing specialty is. Uh, and Hannah, let's start with you. All right. Hi, I'm Hannah Rosner, um, co-host of the Untitled Female Driven Podcast. And um I have worked on a variety of projects, I guess, as, you know, I've been a writer's assistant, I've been, you know, script coordinator, all these things. But my first show that I worked on was the CW Supernatural Teen Drama Legacies. I worked on that for three seasons. Great, great years of my life. Um, but uh, I actually am more of a sci-fi writer and specifically you know, grounded, elevated, character-driven sci-fi, a la uh, Severance or Silo, things like that are kind of, that's really my my bread and butter. Uh, Erica. Hi, I'm Erica Schreiber. I am also a co-host of the Untitled Female Driven Podcast. Um, I tend to write features more than TV, though I do do both. Um, I've written a couple movies for Blumhouse. One was an action movie. One was a horror movie. I wrote a really fun like mother-daughter survival thriller for a, a director who was really fun to work with. Uh, and I currently have a teen horror comedy over at Paramount. Um, and I, on the TV side, uh, the biggest thing I've done is I sold a sci-fi show to Freeform. This is all cool stuff. All right. I want to start by talking about the Untitled Female uh, Driven podcast, which 
I am such a fan of, uh, I, I said it on your show and I'll say it on my show. Uh, I really like the show. I really like the podcast. And I do feel like we were talking about this before we started rolling. Like it's filling a void in podcasts for folks who are just starting out. So I want to ask you first about like the impetus for starting the podcast. Um, but then we'll talk about your experiences as new writers. Uh, but tell me where the podcast came from in the first place. Anna and I actually both had the same idea separately. And we happened to both tell the right person. Uh, and she didn't end up being our third co-host. But uh, I we felt like it was it was something that needed three people. Uh, as much as Hannah and I enjoyed talking to each other. Uh, Jess is our secret sauce. who <laughs> Unfortunately, couldn't be here today. Um, and yeah, that's kind of it. I just I just wanted I had I used to mentor uh, recent NYU graduates. And I had stopped doing that. I kind of didn't have time. And, you know, it's the kind of thing you only want to do for so long before you're like, okay, what's what's next? And um, so, yeah, I had that little like void in my life of uh, I've learned things the hard way. And I want to share that so that other people don't have to. Uh, and that's that's kind of where it came from for me. Yeah, very similar situation with me where I was actually having lunch with a friend in 2016 or 17. And I was still an assistant slash executive at the time, but, you know, I was still getting lunch from my boss. So I was, I was an assistant. Um, and I had, I had lunch with this guy that was getting into the podcast space, which even, even in 2016, it was still kind of nascent. And I remember he said, you should really start a podcast. You have so much, you have such a wealth of information. And I was like, I disagree. I'm an assistant. I'm a lowly nobody, you know, I work for somebody who's a somebody, but I'm not. Uh, and, and then I kind of realized that I was wrong. And I actually had a wealth of knowledge that would apply to people who I just, I think I was so in, you know, this headspace of, oh, I just, I haven't made it. And therefore I have nothing of value to anyone else. But what I realized was I had been working in this industry for, you know, seven, eight years at the time. And I had learned so much and there was so much that I wish my younger self had known and that it's, it's really hard to come across this information. Even if you are living in LA, even if you are working in the industry, it's still hard to just ask somebody, you know, what do I say in a general meeting or how do I pitch my brand or um, how do contracts work? How do, you know, how do, how does negotiations work? Things like that. So I realized that maybe there is a, a, a void that I could potentially help fill and, and Erica, I don't even remember how we, I guess through act two, we're both in a writer's big writer's group and we moved that way. Yeah. You would hung out with a couple of people there that I knew and uh, we, we went out to coffee. Some, something I like about um, the untitled female driven podcast is, you know, you, you folks do what I have tried to do in this podcast, which is there are two aspects of learning how to work in this industry. And one is the craft and one is the business. And, you know, Hannah, to sort of pick up on what you were talking about earlier is like, you had been through the business for a few years and you felt like you hadn't made it, but you were in it in a way that, you know, people who hadn't moved here, hadn't been an assistant, hadn't done these jobs, were not. So I want to tackle the business side first and ask you both, like, what were mistakes you made early on that became lessons that you could later talk about in the podcast? Man, the first one that comes to mind is when I my first job in LA, I was a post PA on a uh, on a movie called Going the Distance. And when that show when that was coming to an end, my boss said, "You were a great PA, 
but don't do this again. Like you will get stuck as he was like, because you're such a hard worker and you're from Chicago. So you, you know, you're a, you're a Midwestern girl, you work hard and uh, you'll get taken advantage of if you, you know, he basically was like, keep, keep moving. So I remember I was like, all right, I'm going to get on a, like a creative desk. And the only way really to get an assistant job back then for somebody I would, would have eventually wanted to work for like, like Zach Penn, who I eventually worked for was to start in an agency. And so I interviewed in an agency and I'm going to preface this by saying, I'm not sure this was a mistake, but it does sort of still haunt me that I interviewed at this agency. I don't even remember which one. And in the interview, they said, well, what is your goal? And I told them the truth. I want to be a director. And I, you know, I really wanted to direct more so than write at the time. And I didn't realize that that was a mistake and I should have lied. And I should have told them I want to be an agent because they were like, well, why would we hire you to be, uh, you know, why would we hire you to be an assistant at an agency if you want to, you know, what if, what if Danny Boyle calls and, and takes you away, which I was like, if that happens, I'm absolutely leaving. <laughs> of course I'm going to work for Danny Boyle. But um, it was sort of a lesson, I guess, in, like I said, not necessarily a mistake, but really a lesson in like, you just have to be so much more strategic. And that's why these podcasts like yours and ours and all the wonderful ones out there, it's like, so important to listen to. Otherwise you just come out here and you don't know what you're doing and all sorts of mistakes were made by me. But that that's just sort of the one that always makes me chuckle when I think about it. I think that's a good lesson, right? Like there is a bit of selling. There is a bit of like telling people what they want to hear when they're in a position to hire you. Has this carried over to like staffing meetings, staffing opportunities where like you have to tell people how excited you are about this show, even if you are not excited about this show? Yes, absolutely. And I think you have to, it's, you have to really walk this fine line where you don't want to lie. You actually do need to be authentic because I think people can sniff inauthenticity. I know I can, I know I can really tell when someone's full of shit. Um, And it's, it's, uh, it, it sort of is like, well, then if I can't trust you, you know, it's a whole thing. So, so yeah, to answer your question, I would say that um, you have to be authentic and not just completely bullshit your way through things. But you also can't be too honest if there's things about a show that you don't like because you're trying to get a job on it, you know. And you know, I'll be frank. When I interviewed on Legacies, I was like, you know, I was watching the show, and at first, I thought, I don't know, the soapier aspects of it are just not really for me. I'm I'm really more into more elevated, more adult fair. And this was such a YA show. Um, but I found so many things about it uh, that I loved and I loved the characters and I loved how it was thematically really about something, you know, it was about, um, people who are sort of, uh, destined by, you know, whatever society or societal norms to be villains, um, overcoming their darker natures and sort of proving that there's, there's more to them than, uh, preconceived notions. I, I said that so <laughs> roundabout in such a roundabout way, but it was something I was really drawn to about the show. And so the takeaway would be when you are preparing for a staffing, you have to look for the things that you genuinely love and talk about that. And just don't talk about the things you don't like. Cause I've absolutely heard that I've been on the other side of these meetings. And I'm like, why are you giving me notes right. on my show? I'm going <laughs> to get a job. So yeah. Oh man. Uh, the, the feature side of that would actually be uh, that 
there are right answers to questions. Like, and just going back to what Hannah, to Hannah's story about interviewing for the agency job, they know that Hannah, they, they know that young Hannah didn't want to be an agent, but they wanted to know if she knew the right answer to that question, which is I want to be an agent, right? And so you ever interviewed an agency, that's what you say. I want to be an agent, right? That's the correct answer to that question. And they are not test. They don't, they will not hold it to you to it a year later. When you say I'm leaving to be a writer's assistant, they're going to be like, cool, that sounds good. You know, not how dare you have lied to me in that interview <laughs> 16 months ago. Um, so, so there is that, and there are, you know, just kind of right answers to questions in general. Like if you're meeting at a company, don't say you didn't like their movie, you know, <laughs> things that should go without saying. Have you done this? No, but I, thank God, <laughs> uh, but, uh, I have heard about, uh, there's an amazing story that I can't put any names into it. This is not my story, but a friend who was an exec who they met with their boss with a director who had directed a very specific kind of movie and the head exec one of the people who started this company mentioned that you know they don't really make that type of movie anymore and the director's like well they make you know he didn't say my movie but he said the name of his movie and the the head exec is like yeah but no one likes those and the 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 director turns to the junior exec and goes like does he know I made that? Like, was he not clear on this? And I just can't imagine a more awkward meeting. But so, yeah, there are right answers and wrong answers in in any meetings you have. But I will also say, uh, don't don't pretend you like things that you don't uh, within within that framework. You know, like you can go up for jobs because you said you were interested in them in a general meeting. But if you're not, you are. It, like the best case scenario is that you're going to spend like the next three years working on a feature that you hate. <laughs> uh, and at worst, you're going to have blown it and you're never going to get the call about the job you would have actually wanted from that company. So part of that is knowing yourself, right? Know what you are interested in, know what you want to do. When you both started out, did you have an idea of who you were as a writer, what your interests were? I mean, yes, in the sense that I you know, I knew the movies that I loved growing, growing up and I wanted to write movies like that. But I will say that the business and the strategizing that we kind of just spoke about started to really inform some of the choices I was making. And I kind of lost sight of what I really wanted to do and what kinds of shows and movies I really wanted to make because I was trying to mold myself to be someone that anyone would want to hire. Oh, you want a comedy writer? I've got a comedy. Oh, you want a, you know, a YA writer? I've got a, you know, I do think there is an element of having to have a lot of having samples in different genres and different styles and tones. Um, there's absolutely something to that just so that you can stay versatile and be nimble on your feet and be open to opportunities. But at your core, I think when you're starting out, you have to remember your North star in terms of what it is you really want to do. And for me, I grew up loving, um, sci-fi movies like, uh, you know, Blade Runner, Total Recall, the, uh, the Terminator, um, Independence Day. We have a whole episode about my love for Independence Day. And, and so I sort of like lost sight of that in trying to be everything to everyone. And when I got back to it, I wrote like my favorite movie I've ever written. And that was definitely a, a, a lesson in like, just, yeah, being aware of what it is that you, you really want to do, but even more so not just the, the genre that you want to write in, but 
your point of view, your voice. I think once I honed in on what it was I was trying to say, like why my why that I was writing or why I was drawn to a story, that changed my whole that that was like chap the next chapter of Hannah as a writer has has, you know, we've entered the next chapter. That's really interesting. And I want to I want to pick that up in a minute. Um, but Erica, I want to hear like the same the same thing, especially in features like the last decade. It's been so hard to get a job. It's so hard to like <laughs> sell a movie and make a movie that I imagine there's a world where like you are pitching and convincing both others and yourself that like, no, I really want this job. Uh, I feel like, you know, the, the, the stuff that I wanted to write based on the movies that I loved as a child, that, that holds up a lot, right? Like I still, those are still very much, uh, North star movies, even if to a degree, they don't always make those movies anymore. Um, like my favorite movie growing up was a movie called the court jester, which starred Danny, Danny Kay. And it is a marvelous movie that it is a combination of action and a little bit fantasy. And there's like a, you know, spy element. And it's also a musical and there's dancing and it's like, it has everything and it's incredible. And like, they don't make that movie anymore, you know, but man, man, do I wish they would, but I also, you know, like uh, I've, I've gotten, like I saw Jurassic Park as a kid, and this is this was my entry into Hannah's episode that she's talking about, and uh, when she talked about Independence Day, Jurassic Park scared the shit out of me as a child, and now it's one of my like top five favorite movies, and I I feel like the Erica brand has always been like very action genre female driven, but I have moved into other genres that I didn't like as much when I was first starting. Like I have moved a lot into horror. And I used to not be able to handle a lot of horror. <laughs> and then I discovered the horror movies that I loved and what I loved about horror. Uh, and honestly, the same with romance. Like I didn't, you know, like during the pandemic, I started, you know, like when we were all like, what the fuck is life anymore? I started reading like romance novels to feel alive. And I was like, I actually really like these. And I like the structure. And like, there's, there's just something of a, like, there is always something to a comfort read or a comfort watch. Like, what is it about that that makes it so great? That made me kind of question why I had not been interested in the genre before. So, like, I think that's something that has been a fun journey for me to get into both of those things, which in some ways feel like opposites, but really aren't so far apart um, as you think. And and that's been really fun for me. And also, the longer I live, the more experience I have to write about. Um, I want to circle back to this uh, idea that Hannah was talking about, which is like having this breadth of material to be able to show people. And and Erica, it sounds like, you know, as you discover new ways into new genres, you are going to create stuff in those genres. What is the aspect of that material, though, that is you, that only can only come from you? Because that's the thing that ultimately we're selling, right? That's the package we want to put together is you can read any of these samples in any of these genres, and they're all going to reflect who you are. So what is it you are bringing to these various types of stories that you are interested in telling? That's a great question. Um, I'm very good at this. Yeah, you've been at it. For a minute, man, Hannah, it feels weird to be on this side of it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. That's how I felt an hour ago. Um, you know, as as a writer, I think I I I feel very confident in my voice at this point. I feel like, uh, you know, the things that kind of make my writing stand out, I have solidified, the, and it fits into a lot of different genres and types of things. And the thing I try to keep in mind is like 
as you said, the future job pool is getting smaller. So what's the movie that someone can read and hire me for a Marvel movie? What's the movie someone can read and hire me, you know, to, to write the next like Blumhouse horror movie? What's, you know, like I being strategic and obviously creativity is not always strategic. Sometimes I write a thing because I have to write that thing. And I know, you know, and sometimes I crash and burn, you know, like I'm like, I want to write this story. This is very different for me. And then I start writing. I'm like, oh no, this is terrible. (laughs) Someone else should be writing this. Um, but yeah, and and on the TV side too, when I, I know I know what type of TV shows I would like to create or to, you know, maybe even be staffed on. It's it's not a path that I actively pursue the way that Hannah and Jess do. But like if I want to write for a specific kind of show or something like that, I need to have a sample that is me and I'm passionate about and is good and is like the Erica version of telling that story. And and Hannah, this is similar to, you know, the thing you touched on, which is why do I tell these stories, right? So what did you discover about yourself after sort of spreading yourself into a bunch of stories that weren't right for you? Yeah. And I I think that even though none of those, it's not that uh, a lot of stories that I was telling weren't right for me. It was more that they weren't necessarily like the most authentic reflection of of my voice and, or, or what I wanted to say, but, or it's not even that it wasn't, it was more that I just, I didn't, I don't think I was aware of it. Um, I think when I applied to the fellowships in like 2017, 2018, I had to do some real soul searching, like a deep dive into like, okay, what makes me unique? Cause I was like, I'm not, I'm just a middle-class white girl from the Midwest. And like, there's just nothing unique about me and whatever. But when I really dug into, okay, what are some common themes in the stuff that I write? I think it's really subconscious. I don't think we're all necessarily even aware of it at first of why we're trying to what we're saying or why. But what I found was the co- one of the common themes was identity and um, uh, similar to that uh, transformation, coming of age uh, at every age, you know, and and reinventing yourself. And so I think that was because I've lived a couple in my 35 years, I've lived a couple different lives and I've had to um, reinvent myself in a lot of different situations. and. Uh, and so I think that the reason that I like writing uh, stories about identity or that center on those types of themes is because I've, I just have a lot of empathy for other people. And I think the reason that I want to write stories is storytelling promotes empathy. It allows you to see from someone else's perspective. And I think that that can be a really powerful avenue for change. Um, not that I'm like writing because I want to save the world. There's other ways to go about doing that. But I, but I really genuinely believe in the power of storytelling to, um, just allow people to like get out of their own perspective and immerse themselves in someone else's experience. So that's, that's what I try to bring to everything is just that deep empathy for characters. Yeah. I love that. And I, and I think like part of one of the great things about maturing as a writer is you do gain that self-awareness, right? You do start to understand why you do the thing, why you write the things you write, why you tell the stories that you tell. And I think getting in touch with that helps you bring them that out and make it. Um, I want to shift over to the craft side of this and talk about mistakes you may have made early (laughs) Early in your your writing careers, or even before you started your writing career, uh, in the craft of writing, uh, and yeah, Eric, I'll throw this at you first. Yeah, I am thinking back to honestly, like kind of my my college days and how 
I was in situations in which people were giving me terrible notes and legitimately, like I had one class, I was writing a script that was kind of outside the box. And in the class, the other students would kind of tear it apart. And the professor started staying with me after class because he's like, I understand what you are going for. Let's actually talk about this. And this was a good and bad lesson, right? Like it can be, it's a good lesson in the sense of like, you know, like some of your peers are dumb, (laughs) you know, your peers are also like, there was like a bunch of like really angry white male grad students who just did not fucking get it. Right. And so I was so glad to have this professor in my life, but it also uh, made me think a lot of times that I knew better than the people who were giving me notes. Right. And one of the best things that happened to me in my early 20s is I had this guy come into a writer's group that I was in and just fucking suck. <laughs> he was so rude and angry, but he was smart and he gave good notes, but they were so poorly delivered. I learned to just sit there and write down what he said and look at it two days later, because otherwise I would just, this guy was the worst, like just wow. Uh, but it was, uh, it was such a great, that was like the reversal, right? Like take the notes and find the place beyond the rage (laughs) to just hear them and take them in. And you don't have to do, you don't have to figure it out there, you know, like, and so I think um, that has helped me through so many, so many exec meetings, (laughs) like just to sit there and listen to the notes. And a lot of times my first instinct is to violently disagree. Sometimes they're told, sometimes it's not like hundred percent, but like there are times I'm like, oh, fuck you. You're so wrong. You don't get it. You know? And then I think about it for a couple days. I'm like, oh yes, I do see. That is correct. And so like, I would say learning to take notes has, was, was a hard process for me. Uh, but, and so that was a mistake I made kind of, and you know, that I try to avoid, but I think we all still stumble into from time to time. And, and it's still hard. Like it's never easy. If you are, if you're doing this right, you're pouring so much of yourself into the work that like, you don't want to hear any feedback. Yeah, and no one cares about it more than you do most of the time, you know? So especially on the feature side, it's just you. You are sitting, you've been alone for three months, 12 weeks is how long you usually get to write a draft and you come in and these people have opinions on my work. How dare they? And then you're like, no, that is that a lot of time. If you work with the right execs, they are usually really correct. And if they're really good at giving notes, then they don't set off that alarm in your head. And I have been really lucky to work with some of those execs who know how to give you notes in a way that is thoughtful and you actually can think about it in the moment. Let's go down this path for a second and then we'll we'll come back around. Let's talk first about giving notes. Um, Both of you have done this for friends, for in rooms, you know, what is that good way to give notes? What is the respectful way to give notes? I think it has to do with being able to turn your your feelings that you have into an actual cohesive thought and and not and and depending on who you are giving notes to, there's a degree to which you should not be prescriptive, right? Like I have a friend who gives great notes, but his notes are specifically what he would do if he was hired to rewrite this feature. And I know that. And so when I get his notes, I'm like, okay, I'm got to like reverse engineer this to be like, what was the issue? Right. So I try to not do that. Uh, I try to identify the issue and where the issue can be spotted. And if I have a prescriptive idea, I will like drop it for them and be like, this is for you. But like, never make them feel like if you don't take this note, you are wrong. Yeah, that is really smart. I was also thinking, uh, I think one of the I, I learned so much from working on uh, from working in a writer's room and specifically working on legacies under Julie Plack. So one of the biggest, I'd say the most important lessons I learned 
in my three seasons on that show was how to give notes. And sometimes you're giving notes, sometimes you're, it's a pitch, but whatever you're contributing creatively. If you're, if you're giving feedback or uh, a creative contribution to something, um, a really important skill is to learn how to give like a, like zoom out and give a big picture note, sort of be able to just tell someone the note behind the note right away. I think execs don't need to do that. They can just give the note and it's our job as writers to decipher the note behind the note. But as a writer, writer to writer, it's really helpful to zoom out and say, okay, overall, I think this is what's working about your story. I think this is what can be improved because what I, as a person who is just very attentive to detail and very type A, I tend to find every little thing and be like, I need to tell them every single thing that's wrong with this story, which is for a, for a more veteran writer is sort of a waste of their time. And for a younger novice writer is just overwhelming and can actually really break their spirit if you're just like bombarding them with notes. So it's better to, uh, and this is actually something that being a teacher at Script Anatomy has has really helped me hone. I, you might relate, Ben, like being able to give prescriptive big picture notes that help them think conceptually about their next pass and the direction to go just makes it so much less overwhelming and more constructive and more, okay, this is how you can actually execute this. Yeah. And I want to give a shout out to Jess Cho, who's not here, our third co-host, because I was in a writer's group with her for a long time. And she does an amazing thing where she really works hard to understand the thing you are trying to do. Because when you're in a group with writers, they all know how they would do the thing that you're trying to do. And that's, that is just has to be where your notes come from. Like how it's, it's literally what you're asking someone when you give them your script for notes is how would you fix this? Right. And I always noticed that just this great thing where like either she would, if she understood it from the script and could tell what you're trying to do, she's like, here's where you're veering away from what you want to do and how, you know, and then, and then, but even if she didn't get it, she would talk to you about it before she would give her notes so that she really understood the thing you were trying to create and how to help you make the best version of that thing. Yeah. And I think like being on the other side of it, we, the notes we're seeking are the ones that help us tell the story we're trying to tell, right? Help us do the thing we're trying to do. What makes for, so, so Erica, when you were, you know, a, a kid getting these notes on, uh, in class, uh, from people who did not understand <laughs> what you were trying to do and you wanted to react violently. Did you react vocally? No, I didn't. Uh, I. You were able to hold back. This happened in a couple classes, but the one I was kind of talking about specifically, I, you know, these, I, I was young for my year uh, and these guys were grad students and they did not speak in a, like, they just spoke like this was correct. And uh i was you know i didn't i didn't know what to do with it i was so flustered to come in with work that to had such a specific intention and then get notes that were so unhelpful right just so trying to have it be something that it wasn't and um you know and it got more and more frustrating the more and more work they brought in <laughs> um so you know having having someone who who did understand was the thing that that really kept me sane um I think that it's a skill you have to learn um, how to stand up for yourself, when to stand up for yourself. Um, It's funny when Hannah, you were talking about how like identity is such a theme in your script and transformation. And I'm like, well, I think a lot of my defining characteristics in writing is, is rage. Right. 
I like I write a lot of like I know it's like honestly writing is 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 my anger management that I need throughout my life, you know? And so I, you know, you could look back and be like, that's that script became such a fuck you to these guys. Um and so like if I can find something to be angry about in a script, you know, like my my strike spec i realized halfway through it that it was about how fucking pissed i was at the like eight rich guys who caused an entire strike to happen and once i understood that i was like okay cool that's helpful but like yeah so like my themes usually come from a place of anger uh and that's that's been helpful to identify and i know i've steered away from your original question but like but but channeling it like that absolutely exactly like i when i when i was younger i was still just as angry i just didn't know what to do with it and so like that has been something you grow into my strike script was the lightest comedy i've ever written what what does that say <laughs> i love that for you no i think that was, i think we all wrote what we needed yeah i'm writing a comedy <laughs> now i'm writing like a really dark horror comedy now which i've never done that before i haven't really written a comedy in, in years and i think it's actually a reaction to the the last script I wrote was fueled by rage, like a deep rage that I still have. And um, I just need something nice. I just need something that and while I'm writing it, I'm like laughing to myself and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know the last time I smiled while I was writing a script, let alone laughed. Yeah. Like my next script, I want to be very different from the one I've been working on and it'll probably be funnier and lighter. Um, it'll still have something I'm really mad about though. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> That's your brand. Um, I want to come back around and Hannah asked you on that craft front, what were mistakes that you made early on? What have you learned about the craft of writing uh, by doing it? Yeah, um, I've had plenty of time to think about your question. I think I feel like I have an answer because I don't even know where to start in terms of mistakes I've made in terms of the craft. Like there's just, I've I've come a long way. I've learned a lot and um, working for this, I worked for Zach Penn for many years and being a, this huge screenwriter's assistant really just taught me so many things that I was doing wrong. And I got so many opportunities to practice. So it's hard to, it's hard to pinpoint. So I would say that like the overall mistake I made again and again, and still make, and I'm like trying to course correct, isn't necessarily a craft questions, but it is like a writing uh, or a, a craft issue as much as it is about the task of writing, which I think psychologically, there's so much to it that people don't talk about, but we talk about it all the time on our podcast. It's like our therapy, you know, how do we, how do we talk ourselves into writing? How do we motivate ourselves? How do we uh, get over, you know, horrible notes that we got from an exec or something. And the thing that I, I think the mistake I used to make a lot was feeling like something had to be perfect and, and not being satisfied with just basically being unhappy with every stage of the process, which is something that bums me out because I love writing. But most of the time when I would sit down to write, I would feel like, oh, this, this scene, the scene sucks. And therefore the day was a wash. Like the, the effort was wasted. And what I've come to learn is that like absolutely no effort is wasted when you're working at your craft. Um, if you make a mistake, every, every road you go down that was the wrong road helps you get back and find the right road. So I think that that was my biggest mistake that I used to make was just um, focusing on perfection instead of progress. And now I'm trying to really change my perspective so that anytime I sit down to write, even if it's only for 20 minutes, even if I end up throwing the scene away, um, it is going to 
lead to something. So it's just it's just better to write and not be so mad about it. Like, like just like just like have fun. Like just you know play and be curious and discover and uh, you know don't don't be feel like okay I need to write the script in five days and it needs to be perfect. It needs to be the final draft by by Friday. Like that's just absurd. I think that's that's yeah. uh, you're circling a very healthy area. I'm very proud. Of you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'm learning to manage expectations. But that's really hard. Like I think so much, so many of us go through that. And I I know I still do. Like if I get it right now, then I don't have to work on it later, but like, I'm going to work on it later regardless, you know? So just know that that's part of the process and, and, you know, the process changes for all of us over time and our approach changes. Um, What is uh, the fun part for each of you? What's the fun part of this job? my God, collaborating. I'm like just being in a room or working with another writer or working with a director, collaborating and seeing like working with someone who gets it and is like excited about your vision and has their own unique vision to bring to it. And it's shaping and changing into something that just keeps getting better and better. That's the fun part. I mean, that's the, that's the best part, honestly. My feature writer is going to show here. I love it. It's just me and my computer and I'm on a fucking roll and I have figured something out, you know, that feeling that you get and it's just like, and that just fuels you. And, um, you know, going from like struggling to like move forward in the script to be like, okay, boom, done. I I, I love outlining. Um, I feel like. Me too. It's so weird. <laughs> it's so fun. Uh, you know, like you just start writing down what you think the story is. You're just like, you're just like literally telling a story to yourself, right? You're sitting there with your word doc or whatever and be like, and then what happens? Oh, I know it's this, right? And you know that half of it's going to change, but it's just like, you're going to, you think of things that get you so excited and you get to feel so smug and smart until you were, you know, it's like, it's before you realize what's wrong with everything. And um, I, I think for me, that's, that's, I also like, um, I love and hate getting new ideas. Um, you know, they'll just like, sometimes you get something just like springs fully formed into your brain. And it's two in the morning and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Now, really now. <laughs> couldn't be t- couldn't be this morning at 10 a.m. when I had six hours of. I'm going to write yeah. this down on my phone. I've read tomorrow. I know. Uh, right. It's no, it's it's either 2 a.m. or when I'm in the shower or the car or the car, especially on the freeway. And you can't stop and write things down, you know, just super inconvenient. But I love that feeling of like, oh, my God, I'm on to something that I would love to see. You know, so I love the description of writing an outline as thinking, I think this is how the story goes, <laughs> because it is like that tentative feeling that is also really exciting. Yeah, it's really cool. And like also a lot of times I figure I know how a movie starts and ends uh, when I think of it. And then it's just like, you know, a weird version of connecting the dots until you you get there. Um, and then you get to the end of the rough draft and you realize all the things you should have planted in act one. You get to go back fix it so yeah well let's um let's get into the the deep stuff on act two some other time we'll we'll do it on your podcast (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but in the meantime uh speaking of that podcast folks should check out the untitled female driven podcast 60 plus episodes as of the release of this one uh so lots to dig into for folks um 
And we'll end as we always do by asking you what you are watching on television these days. I'll talk about movies too. What movies have you loved that you want to recommend? Uh, what's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your friends, loved ones, and your rooms? Right now I'm watching Our Flag Means Death. And I've decided that if I couldn't, I I don't think I could love Taika Waititi anymore. Like I just think he's a genius and he just seems so fun and cool. And I love how gay the show is. It's just so like, it's beautiful. I love the show so much and I'm having so much fun watching it. So if anyone's not watching Our Flag Means Death, you're missing out. I've seen the first season. I have not yet started the second. I'm excited. I just love also like the accents, like the New Zealand accents. I could just listen to Reese Darby talk for like hours and hours. Kiwi accent makes anything funny. Uh, Erica, what are you watching? So um, I tend to watch a lot of stuff, uh, comedies that I wouldn't write as like for relaxation. And um, I've been watching, I just finished the new season of Only Murders in the Building. And I say new, it's been out a while. So good. Like Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez together is just magic, right? And there's there's something awesome about that. Um, I really I watched recently The After Party, which I will not be getting more of, but man, what a genius show. So funny, so clever, and so just inventive. Um, and then on the like more of stuff I do right side, uh, it took me like a year to get to it, but the Cabinet of Curiosities, the like anthology horror show that uh, that Guillermo del Toro did with just like so many incredibly talented people, I have really been enjoying that. It's kind of like such a great horror thing because you know like the episodes are like forty minutes to an hour, so it's like it's like you're watching like a novella version of a movie, which for horror is such a great thing to like execute one concept really well, and uh, just just really really cool. And I'm I'm. I apologize, Guillermo, that I didn't get to. <laughs> I know. I keep forgetting I it exists. Known. <laughs> uh, but yeah, spe- like especially uh, so far, episodes three and four are just. Oh, nice. I It's interesting, you know, like we got the we got that series. We got sort of those Wes Anderson Raw Dolls shorts not too long ago on Netflix. Like, I wonder if this is a new viable means of storytelling. You know, do you what do you what do you see for the future, at least as far as format uh, on on streaming? Any uh, any thoughts about that? None of them are very positive. Um, I think it's it, it seems fairly standard knowledge that we are in the middle of uh, a, a contraction in our industry. And a lot of that has to do with streaming, the amount of money that's been poured into streaming, the uh, fact that streaming is not a profitable structure. You know, uh, and so we're going to see fewer streaming shows, more licensing. Um, and I wish I could say that we would see more creative, small and mid-budget shows because that's what I would do is is really invest in that and not spend $300 million on buying the rights to The Exorcist. That is not the move I would have made, you know, and I, I look at, you know, people have really audiences have really grown into genre shows. And I actually credit a lot of that to Marvel uh, and their huge success. Audiences are more sophisticated. You can tell, you can start, you have a jumping off point that's just way more accessible than it was 10, 15 years ago. Um, But a lot of times I think they only see the big budget versions of things, which means they only see the version that stars the biggest stars they can find, the biggest writers they can find. Et cetera, et cetera. And I would rather you make five mid-budget movies and I bet I like four of them, you know. But instead we have the tax write-off of uh Coyote versus Acme, Acme versus Coyote, which 
that movie that stuns me. Yeah. That just, I, I bet is like so unconscionable to me that a movie can get made and all these people can work on it and then no one even gets to see it. Like how is and that? And it tested really well. It's like, you clearly want to be in business with James Gunn. Uh, this is an incredibly, pro- like this one, this one really knocked me back. Like obviously the first time we saw it happen with Batgirl, I was like, what? Like, and you, but you can put that too, like, towards like, oh, you know, sort of a backlash against woke movies. Like how dare you have a Batgirl who's not white and not straight and you know, I don't know how it tested. I don't, I think they kept that under wraps, but like that one is awful. They're all awful. It's awful to do that to any movie, but this one, I'm just like, right. This, this seems like a genuinely terrible business decision. <laughs> like, you know, well, white yeah. guys, big property. Yeah. <laughs> it's really alarming. Yeah. And no, and it means no one's safe. Uh, right. So, you know, there you go. Yeah. So there's my doom and gloom. Uh, uh, just to maybe add a silver lining or a, a hope of a silver lining is that, you know, perhaps what will come out of this period of contraction is uh, creators, creators are going to create, writers are going to write, directors are going to direct, like we're going to make our stuff. And if the chance of it getting made by a studio becomes increasingly diminished, people, yes, a lot of people, unfortunately, and this makes me really sad, are going to just leave the industry or stop writing and, and do other things. That is a huge, huge bummer. But for the most part, I hope that writers will and creatives of all t- kinds will like find other avenues of just getting their work out there and getting it seen. You know, we've seen that throughout the history of film where the studios make some really terrible business decisions. You get the 60s uh, writers and actors strike and then out of it came this incredible explosion of independent cinema. And so I think Hopefully that could be around the corner for us as well, where we're still going to get diverse points of view and unique stories, um, just maybe through a, a different medium. And hopefully people will, you know, catch on to whatever that. Yeah, I will say I'm looking at different ways of making things. Yeah. Like uh, I used to know exactly what I would do with a script when I finished it, but that's that I'm looking, I'm looking at what other routes there are. And I think a lot of people are, and we will find them together. So there you go. See, I'm cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, Hannah, Erica, thank you so much for chatting today. Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for having us. Love the crossover. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. Good job. We did it. <laughs>